Well, welcome to Kingdom 101, and we resume with a session number 52. And I'm encouraged to see so many of you here, and we want to welcome our listeners back also um, to our SoundCloud channel. And if you're wondering why you have not heard or have not seen any uploads of recordings over the past couple of months, it's because we have taken a break, and this time we are coming back again. So it's good to have you back listening, and it's good to have you back physically also down here. This evening, the title is called True Treasures. If you're following with me, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Yes, we're still there. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verses 19 to 24. You can turn your Bibles there first while I give you a quick introduction to what we will be covering or where we have come from. Now, if you know Matthew chapter 6, we are right in the middle of this sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. And we have been traveling through this sermon for quite a few months last year and now coming back to it again. Now, very broadly, we know that the Sermon on the Mount is a kingdom manifesto. It's like Jesus' description or teaching about what the kingdom is all about, how we are to live as kingdom people and what it means to also ask for the kingdom and to declare the kingdom. So we started with the Beatitudes, Makarios, the blessed statements, and we found that it's really an upside-down thing, right? No, it's, I, I call it B1, B2, B3. It's like when you take a lift, you, you, you press, and the only buttons that you can press is go down basement. And the further down you go, actually, the higher up you actually ascend. And that's the whole thing about the kingdom. It's upside-down. And yet Jesus invites us up to a kingdom blessedness as we understand how it is upside-down. We see how kingdom identity was declared upon disciples or the people when Jesus says you are salt and you are light. And you have a purpose, salt, light, you know, all these uh, items and elements, they serve a purpose. At the same time, we see that the law and the prophets will be all about righteousness. Remember Jesus told the the people, "Your, your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees. Otherwise, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So how do we understand what is that all about? Then he goes on to explain the interpretation of kingdom laws. This is how you exceed the righteousness. This is how you understand where in in, in the past people will say this. The Old Testament says this. But this is how you will interpret it and how you believe it and how you will live it. And we understand it is all about love and the spirit of the law more than just the letter of the law. You see, Jesus came and he was turning everything upside down and inside out. Then he went on to a teaching of hiddenness where if you look at the world, the world will keep telling you, oh, you have to do this, you have to advertise this, you, know, you, have, to, you have to showcase this, you've got to let everybody understand this. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> if you want to do anything, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. It's, it's about hiddenness. So kingdom values, again, run opposite to what the world will teach us and how they will have us understand. When it comes to prayer, this is how you pray. You don't just stand on a street corner and declare. The louder you pray, the longer you pray means you're more religious. Jesus says, don't do that. But when you pray, go into a room, into a secret place, and and where your Father hears you, He will reward you. And then He takes a little detour and He teaches us this thing called the Lord's Prayer. But I don't like to call it a Lord's Prayer, although it was taught by the Lord. I like to call it a Disciple's Prayer because as disciples, that's how we should be praying. And it really is a kingdom prayer. And it's tucked right in the middle. I mean, you look at this whole sermon. Chapter 6, verses 9 to 13 is like, that's right there in the middle of what it is. 
And I think it gives us a hint that at the heart of Jesus' message is a prayer for the kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And all glory, all power, you know, everything belongs to God. It's nothing about us. Now, if you understand the disciples' prayer from a kingdom's perspective, I challenge you, the way you pray will change. And we spent six weeks, six sessions, just dissecting the entire kingdom prayer. And I hope that you'll go back and listen to it once more. And that's where we ended about fasting, that, you know, when you fast, don't make a big phase, you know, uh, we call it fasting, uh, what was it? Uh, fasting frowns, right? Not casting crowns, but uh, fasting frowns. And don't, don't make a big show of it, but get into the quiet place and, you know, God sees your heart and He will reward you. That's where we left off. And so this evening, we're going to come back with this one topic about treasures, Obviously, if it's a kingdom teaching, it's a kingdom manifesto, I think we want to know what kingdom treasures would really be. And that's why I call it true treasures. We will answer a question that, you know this phrase, treasures in heaven. I think we're going to scratch our head. What is treasures in heaven? I think it's very important to know because if you don't know what treasures in heaven are, then you don't know how to lay up treasures in heaven or you might be laying up the wrong things. What is the proper perspective of money or of material wealth? Do you know that Jesus taught a lot about money and about finances? And we must listen to what the king is saying about the dealing of money or with money and finances. It will do us well to hear him out correctly and contextually. We cannot pick and choose the parts that we like. And Christians love to do that. They take one word, they take one phrase, you know, and they make it their life goal or something like that. And as I was preparing this, I tell you, it's really interesting. The way the, the topics, the way the, the structure goes uh, for our Sermon on the Mount or the teaching of Matthew. I mean, I can't plan all the way through to Matthew 28. So don't ask me what we're going to be talking about, you know, say 10 sessions from now. I don't know. So we go as we move and I don't dictate the topics, the scripture tells me what to preach, right? And more than once, the timing of these topics uh, are like so relevant and so contextual even to what we are experiencing in this world. And so when I was preparing this, I found it really interesting that after such a long break that we should be coming back to address this issue after, listen to this, after the verdict and the conclusion of Singapore's longest and most expensive trial involving the handling, or shall I say, the mishandling of finances. I mean, isn't it funny? I mean, we're not talking about finances at all and suddenly, after this whole big saga thing, and it's still not over yet, we get to talk about finances. And I think it should signal something to us. How are we managing finances? So stay with me, this week will be like a part one, because next week we will talk about part two. But let's read the text first in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24, and then we will pray. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, 
your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Father, I want to thank you for your word, Lord. Each time, Lord, we read your word, we are thankful, we are grateful because you did not leave us alone to figure things out by ourselves. But you left us scripture, O God. And you showed us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, how to understand scripture that we may appropriate it for ourselves. And not only that, Lord, you sent the living word, your son, Jesus, who is really the one that the word was made flesh, the incarnate. That, Lord, he showed us how to live. That, Lord, we want to hear from him and learn from him, even as we go through a teaching or a study of this evening's passage. So, Lord, be with me and be with everyone who's listening in also, Lord. And we ask that you will teach us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think this is a familiar passage. And if you are reading a certain version of the Bible, sometimes they break it up into sections. And we will visit these sections this evening, but we need to take these two or three sections in total. That means look at it collectively and understand the thought flow, the pattern, that what Jesus is saying, how he builds from one point and he builds that all the way through to what is right at the end. So let's start with these words called treasure or treasures. This one word called treasures, if you look at that right-hand side on the slide, comes from the Greek thesaurus. Does this sound familiar? Okay, if you're English teachers, you probably have a copy of a thesaurus. Nowadays, you can get online, you just Google thesaurus, you get it. And the word thesaurus just means treasures. So a thesaurus in an English language would just mean a treasury of words, right? It's a, it's a treasure trove or a storehouse, that's what it means, of words. Now, interestingly, the verb thesaurizo, it's also translated, you can translate it as a verb treasure. So whenever we look at that one English phrase called do not lay up, we can replace it literally to read as do not treasure up. You get my point? Do not treasure up for yourself treasures on earth. Do not store up, do not lay up all these things. Because what you treasure is what you will hoard, you will hold a lot more of these things for yourself. Literally, it sounds, do not treasure for yourself treasures on earth, but treasure for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, as Jesus gives this instruction, you realize that you have a choice to make. You can choose to lay up things that would be uh, precious, at least in the sight of the people here on earth. Or you can choose to lay up something that would be powerful and important in heaven. You have a decision to make. But that decision, you need to note, is personal, is yours. I can teach you, I can tell you, but I can't help you make that decision. Do not lay up for yourselves. You see that? Yourself, it's you. You need to make this personal for yourself. And it's one thing to hear it from a pulpit or from a sermon or from a teacher and say, yeah, 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 we know, I know, I know. We can all be very guilty of it. We can know this verse, we can know this passage so well, but have you made a personal choice? Have you made a personal decision to treasure up treasures on earth or have you made a decision to, to treasure up treasures 
in heaven. That's your choice. Now let's look at treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In the time of Jesus, of course, what was precious in those days were things like garments, maybe silk, okay, very limited edition kind stuff, uh, metals, gold, silver, material stuff. And that's why he mentions moth. Because if you don't keep your clothes properly or in a certain temperature or what, you know, the, the moth will come or you will just get this discolored and your treasure becomes no more treasure. You've lost it. It cannot be used anymore. Or the metals that will rust or it will decay or it will destroy. Things will just go off or thieves can break in and take these physical things. So we look at treasures on earth and we know that they are physical. We know that they are of material and that's where we get this word materialism or being materialistic. But we like all these stuff. But we also see that it is perishable. They don't last and in that, we understand that these things are all temporal. Now, what would be the equivalent of what Jesus might have been pointing to in those days for in our time today? What would be the equivalent? Let me give you some examples. Perhaps stocks and shares, right? Any of you play stocks and shares, you understand. Huh? I mean, one day you might be riding the wave, but the next day, <laughs> it's, it's temporal, right? You, you don't know when is it going up or when is it going down. Someone wants to buy property, oh yeah, very good. You know, you can be overgeared and you're buying property. In, in Singapore, property always seems to be a good investment. But it can also crash, and the bubble can burst, and it is also temporal. How about currencies? Currencies is another problem, right? Everything is subjected to market fluctuations, your governmental policies, who is in charge, political conditions, corporate governance, any one of these things can be wiped out overnight just like that. Nothing is forever. Nothing is for certain. And this is a bad time. This would have been a bad time if you had been holding shares of United Airlines. <laughs> if you remember what just happened, right? The, the shares just plummeted. But these would have been treasures to some people and they, all these would be treasures on earth. But you also see, what, uh, what would be the means of acquiring these treasures? What would be the means? It would be cash. It would be money in our time today. Right? And if you don't have money, of course, you need collateral. But before you get your collateral, you need money. And again, if you don't have money, you go and borrow right? to sort of use someone else's money and pay them more money. Right? And that's why, you see, Jesus starts with a material focus there. to say, don't lay up all these things. And then he ends up in the entire passage, you cannot worship God and mammon or money. So he ties this whole thing together. You see, because if you want to lay up all these things like that, you're going to be struggling all the way because you will always be looking for money. And that movie, Money No Enough, will be your slogan. No matter what, there's never enough money. Because if you keep wanting to hoard up more and more, treasure up more and more things, and lay up more and more things, I can guarantee you, you will not have enough money for what you want. But this is contrasted against laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven which, of course, the moth can't get to. The rust cannot get to it, cannot destroy it. Thieves will not be able to break in or steal. And so if we look at the contrast between, uh, against the money or what's a material, then obviously we know that treasures in heaven would be spiritual in its nature. It will be uh, imperishable. So it will last for a very, very long time. 
But also remember that treasures in heaven as you're laying up, as you're sending forward, as you're investing in, it is also, or they are also eschatological. Now that means that it's for another time, it's for another season, it's for another age. Whereas the material things, you can have it now. But as compared to the treasures in heaven, some of it you have a sampling, a taste of it. But I can tell you, most of it will be inherited in the age to come. And so you can't see it. It's an investment up in the future. Compared to money or material things, it's temporal, but treasures in heaven, they will be eternal. So can you see, Jesus is just bringing this contrast to say, I'll tell you what's the best, better choice. The better choice is really treasures in heaven. It's not treasures on earth. And that's why at the end of this whole passage, it says there's this competition between money versus God or the worship of God versus mammon. But we have to ask ourselves again, so I know it's good. Treasures in heaven looks really good, but what, what are these? <laughs> if I don't know what these are, it will be very difficult for me to lay out. I want you to hold that first, okay? Because I don't want you to go home so quickly. I'll hold your attention, but just keep that. You know, I hope that, that the hunger for, and the, the desire for understanding that keeps growing so that you'll wait for that answer. Now, why is this discussion important for kingdom subjects? About materialism, about physical things, and about the, the kingdom of God or you know, treasures in heaven. Why is it important? Jesus concludes this one section with this line. And it shows the importance. Because, right? The one word for translates as because. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's very important. That's why you have to make a decision for yourself today, right this moment, you know. Are you laying up treasures on earth? Are you treasuring the treasures on earth? Are you over-treasuring the treasures on earth? Oh, no, no, I treasure in heaven also. No, no, no. Are you treasuring on things on earth more than you treasure the treasures in heaven? Sometimes we want to have our cake and eat it, you see. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And when you look at the word heart, I make this point often, but I'll repeat it once more. The heart is not the emotion. Whenever you see the word heart in the Bible, please don't, get all emo and lovey-dovey, you know, and, and start to feel things, you know, very feely. It's not about what you feel. The heart refers to you. Everything about you is contained in this one word called heart. Your thoughts, your patterns, your personalities, your inklings, your desires, everything, it's contained in this one word called heart. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 18 to 20, He explains, those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart and they defile a man. Because out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, and all these other things. Your entire being is wrapped up in this one word called heart. And so where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's why this whole thing is so important, this whole issue is important for kingdom subjects. Where you put your treasure, where you are laying up treasures, is affecting your heart. It's where your heart will be. Okay? In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. So you've got to ask yourself this very important question right now. What do you treasure? 
do you treasure the earthly stuff? Because if you do, that's where your heart is. If you treasure the heavenly stuff, then that's where your heart is. And the Apostle Paul exhorts the, the believers often. He says, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Correct? We're always told, look to the eternal, not the temporal. So maybe if we do a survey, you know, what do you really, really treasure? Maybe some of us would say, oh no, it's, it must be Jesus, it must be treasures in heaven. The question is, how do we know? How do we really know? Because the Bible also reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all else. The heart is deceitful above all else. It's, it's, you can't understand it. That's what Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9. And that's why it's very, very bad uh, advice uh, to tell someone, follow your heart. Have you heard this advice before? And we're giving advice, this advice to the young people, you know. No, 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 just follow your heart. Now, if, if a person is not redeemed, uh, to follow the heart uh, is very bad, you know. Because out of the heart, all the evil things flow. The heart is only selfish. The heart will only do what they want to do. Bad advice to tell people, follow your heart. Even for believers, we pray that the heart has been redeemed, that the Lord has given them a new heart, and this heart is inclined after the Holy Spirit. Ah, that heart can follow. But if you're not following the Holy Spirit, and you're not following the lead of the King and His kingdom, that heart don't follow. But it's deceitful, you understand? It's deceitful, and sometimes we deceive ourselves. We can one day shout, I love Jesus, the next day we're doing something else already. It's called misalignment in our keeper's language. We say one thing, but we live another. And I don't know about you, but I'm very good at rationalizing and justifying. I'll always make some reason up uh, on why I'm doing a certain thing. And I believe you also are quite good at it. So how do I, how do I check this blind spot? And this is the key. That's why Jesus goes on. He doesn't stop there. He tells you where your treasure is. That's where your heart will be also. But it's deceitful, so you can't really tell where it is. So if you want to know where your heart is, to reveal the heart, check the eye. So Jesus goes on. I'll tell you how to check your heart because you can't, you can't tell where your heart is. It's deceitful. You're bluffing yourself. You're playing games. And that is why in chapter 6, verse 22, He then says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be good and full of light. But if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So if you want to reveal where your heart is, you check the eye. <laughs> I mean, I, I, if there's any doctor here, please don't throw things at me. Right? Yeah, it's funny, right? You go to a doctor and say, something wrong with my heart. He says, let me look at your eye. Hey, but you don't laugh, you know. Sometimes they tell you, uh, before your heart attack, uh, something happened somewhere else. Correct? They are indicators. I'm not sure this is what Jesus is referring to. But there's a beautiful, beautiful picture here that the Lord was trying to teach His disciples. And it's contained in those two words, the contrast between good and bad. The word that's translated good is this word that actually means not something that's diseased. That means this eye is good. It's a good eye. It, it sees clearly. If you have a problem with eyesight, and Singaporeans have the highest incidence of myopia, correct? From the youngest and to the oldest, you know, we are having problems with our eyes. 
So if you have a problem with your eye, this is how you see things. You see double images, right? You see things blur. So the eye that is good, i.e. not diseased, then this eye would be able to see something clear, one object. He sees one thing, focused, single-minded, dedicated. You follow? Isn't that an interesting picture? But if your eye is bad, that's how you're going to see things. You're going to see double. And so this one word that's translated bad can be translated evil or wicked. In other words, you are, you are double-minded, you are double-hearted, you are double-visioned, all right? and, and you are not really focused on anything, but within you, you are covetous, you are selfish, you are seeking your own gain, you are seeking your own interest, usually at the expense of others. And so as a Christian, as a kingdom person, what are we looking at? Are we looking at God? Are we looking at His kingdom purposes? Are we single-minded with the things of God, treasures in heaven? Or are we double visioned? What is your eye looking at? And so if I want to know where your heart is, I look at what you are looking at. Would that be good? To reveal the heart, check the eye. So I walk along Orchard Road with you and every time you look at the sail, the eye keep moving. I know where your heart is. The moment there's one good deal, they say, must buy because we save so much you forget you have to spend the other part. If you're always looking for this, looking for that, looking for th- that's where your heart is. You see my point? And I believe that's what Jesus is trying to say. Today, you want to check the heart. Very easy. Look at Facebook. See what people post. Of course, you can't trust everything that you see on Facebook. Lah. Some can be bluff one. But I'm serious. When you spend enough time with people, you see what they're looking at. To reveal the heart, you check the eye. If your eye is always on money, huh? wealth, getting more, can tell one. If your eye is always fixed on oil prices, gold prices, stock markets, uh, no wonder your heart uh, keep going up and down. Right? To, to, to reveal the heart, what? Check the eye. Okay? If your eye is always looking at what other people have, then you're covetous, you're greedy, you're not satisfied. You're and it doesn't have to be a material thing. You know? I tell you, in the ministry, it's very easy to be covetous. Right? This church is bigger than mine. You know, this person has, has more this and this. No, no, no. How come this? Then we're trying to fight this. We're trying to fight that. You know, anything you can do, I can do better. You know, any service you hold, I can hold better. Well, we're still we're fighting. But we rationalize it. Oh, no, 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 no. We're laying out kingdom treasure. You know, we're doing kingdom things. To reveal the heart, check the that's why Jesus declares that if your eye is good and it comes in, then that light inside will be bright. It's good light. But if the, if the eye is bad and it comes in, then the light that is in there is darkness. Now, isn't this crazy? A few verses before, he's saying, you are the light of the world. Kingdom people, you are the light of the world. But if your eye is bad, then this light that's coming in is darkness. How great is that darkness? And I see Christians, they have fear, they have anxiety, they have worry, they have pain, they have sorrow. They are working so much because they are working for money. The light that they are shining is darkness. And the people outside in the world look at you and look at me and say, you're Christian, ah? same lay. I like money, you also like money, what? I work until I see Bodhi, Bodhi, Momi, you also work until like that. Right? So what's the difference? 
So is your eye good that you see focused, that you are very clear, one thing I aim for? Or is your eye bad? Blur, blur, and a lot of things in front of you. So you can't have double vision, you understand? And that's why Jesus ends with this one verse. Isn't that beautiful, the way, how poetic Jesus was as a rabbi, that he spoke, you know, in, in rather cryptic sentences. But now as we unpack this, we see, now we understand. Why suddenly from, from, from treasures go to good eye, bad eye, to cannot serve two masters? Because if your eye is bad, you see two masters, ma. You see blur, you're not focused. You see God and you see money and you both of you want. Okay, and the Chinese also have money God. Tyson, yeah. No one can serve two masters. You've got to get their eyes checked. Get your eyes treated. There can only be one master you have to choose. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else you'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and you cannot serve mammon together. What's your eye looking at? Kingdom subjects can only serve one king. You cannot align with one kingdom. You cannot have your legs, you know, one leg in one kingdom and another leg in another kingdom. And this whole thing about money and finance and this greed thing, it's not a new thing. It's not something that we struggle with today because in those days, Jesus had to address it many, many times. You know, in the Gospel of Luke, we have this parable called the parable of the unjust steward. Now, as a young Christian, when I read this, I never understood it. I mean, too young, blurred, don't understand. Why is Jesus saying it's good to be unjust, right? Yeah? If you know this parable. So briefly in this parable, Jesus talks about a steward that was not, uh, that was, that was sneaky. Right? He was cunning. He was not dealing well. The master finds out and says, okay, come and give account. The steward or this manager realizes he's been found out. So he says, okay, before my license get revoked, huh? I'm going to do some things, right? So he goes to the master's creditors and he gives them discount to say, whatever you owe my master, cut half. Whatever you owe my master, never mind, pay this a little bit enough already, I let you go. So that he was making friends with these guys. That finally when the master will look at him and say, wow, you bad servant, I'm going to sack you and throw you out. He's got friends that would help him. So you were sneaky. And the master, when he found out that he actually did all these discounts behind his back, he actually commended him to say, Wow, you're quite good, huh? You're quite clever, huh? You're right, huh? He actually said that, right? Huh? He actually commended him. And then if you get the wrong idea, you'll be thinking that Jesus is saying to us that we also got to be cunning and cut corners. No, Jesus wasn't saying that. Because his point was this, that the sons of this world, that the people of this world, they know how to use money for their benefit. But the children of light, the kingdom people, don't know how to use the money for the glory of the kingdom. That was his point. So he's saying, make use of money. Use money in that sense. Make money work for you. Don't work for money. And not for you only, but for your master. Because you are only a steward. That's the point. Okay? Don't get the wrong point and say, only you work for me, huh? and then everything also good for me. No, it's always for the king and for the master. Now, why am I bringing this to you? Because the parable ends with that one line, for where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. Exactly the same teaching as in, in Matthew, but with a parable thrown in. And you go back and check this passage because a couple of verses before he gave that punchline, Jesus actually said that if you cannot be faithful with unrighteous mammon, who will give you what is yours? Oh, that really opened my mind. Do you realize that if you can use be faithful with mammon, which is not yours, because if it's yours, then why would someone give you what is yours? So point number one, side story here, side lesson. What, the money that you and I use, it's not ours. But if we can be faithful with what is not ours, God will give us what is ours. That will be an inheritance of the treasures in heaven. Are you following? Eh? Okay, just a, side, just a side note. But immediately after talking about where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Luke records this. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money, Pharisees, eh? religious leaders, also heard all these things and they derided him. And he said to them, you are those who justify. I told you, right, we can always justify. <laughs> you are those who justify yourselves before men. But God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So what was Jesus referring to here that is highly esteemed? Money. The Pharisees were lovers of money. What is highly esteemed among men, where God is concerned, is an abomination. I told you the kingdom is upside down. Now when you look at something like that, we've got to ask this question. What about the prosperity gospel? What about the prosperity gospel? Why is it so attractive to so many Christians? See, the world highly esteems wealth. The world highly esteems money and finance or the abundance of it and they see it as an indicator of success. The prosperity gospel does exactly the same thing. This prosperity gospel equates material prosperity as a sign of God's favor and blessing. But is that true? Is that accurate? Is it correct or not? I like this quote by John Piper. Prosperity cannot be proof of God's favor since it is what the devil promises those who worship him. You want fame, you want money, you want finance, worship the devil, you'll get it immediately. So it's not a correct indicator you're following. But the world highly esteems money. Now today, the church highly esteems prosperity. And it will be very attractive because who doesn't want money? Who doesn't want prosperity? If you do this, if you do that, God will prosper you. Of course. Everyone will bite at that carrot. But Paul warns in the last days, many will be lovers of money. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. There will be many who will have a love of money and not be lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness, but they will deny its power. And, and Paul says to Timothy, from such people, turn away. I tell you what's a crazy thing. Oddly enough, we are drawn to such people. Admit it. Why? Because we also want the same. That's why the prosperity gospel works. You get my point? Paul says, from such people, turn away. But from such to such people, we are drawn. Because when we see them have money, we also want. <laughs> but we justify ourselves that we say it's for the glory of God. It's very subtle, my friends, I'm telling you. 
So you want to reveal the heart? You check the eye. What are you looking at? Do you know the Apostle James had very strong words for his congregation when they favoured the rich and oppressed the poor? It's been said that the book of James is like a mini commentary of the Sermon on the Mount. And it's true. There are many themes that James would visit or revisit or build on or teach that echo the teachings of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. James chapter 4, verse 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You cannot have double vision. You cannot, I'm a friend of God and tomorrow I'm the friend of the world. It doesn't work. Right? So on Sunday, we I'm a friend of God. From Monday to Saturday, we go friend, ping you, ping you with the world. Double vision. Bad eye. Bad eye. I didn't read you the, the words before that. Nah. He actually said adulterers and adulteresses. Very strong words. A few verses later on in verse 7, he says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Bad eye. Double-minded. And then later on in chapter 5, James uses similar words as Jesus concerning material wealth. And he was actually pronouncing an indictment against those who were rich. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded. And their corrosion will be a witness against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. And James was being very sarcastic. Because the word treasure there, in the last days, following this judgment, is about the consequences you will reap in the final day. These are Christians, I'm telling you. Huh? I'm so concerned that today, a lot of teaching is so soft. That you can do no wrong, nothing, no problem. You know, everything's going to be cool. So many people will be very surprised when the judgment comes. James was talking to Christians, friends. He wouldn't have been very light. We would have unfriended him on Facebook already. Yes or no? Yeah. Just one more point about finances and the prosperity gospel or the understanding or the kingdom point, you know, where people have said, you know, but God's kingdom needs money to advance. Have you heard this before? And well, in a, in a way, it's true, yeah. Materially, we live in a material world, so we need to buy things, we need to pay for rent, yeah. But really, is, is that the case? That if there's no money, I always like to think to the extreme, right? Because the, the principle, try to be true, must work in all cases. Otherwise, it doesn't hold true. Is it really true? Then what about Christians in poverty-stricken places? Does it mean that the kingdom of God will not advance there? In fact, we hear there are more conversions down there now. Something doesn't connect, right? I'm not saying that we don't need money. I mean, kingdom advancement may require finance at times. But kingdom advancement is not dependent on finance. But when we summarize it into one nice statement, you know, oh, we need money for this, you know, give. And when you're giving, you'll lay up treasure. I think we're taking things out of context. But the box is behind, by the way. 
I just had to slip that one in. <laughs> I, I better give context because those listening in may not understand. Everyone knows Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This is one of the most abused verses ever. Because if you read the verses before, Paul was talking about, I'm not speaking in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. If you want to use this verse in context, is this. Money, no money. Hungry, no hungry. Full, no full. Food, no food. I will do God's work because Christ strengthens me for the advancement of the kingdom. That's my paraphrase. It's not Christ helping me score a goal. It's about the kingdom of God. And so he was totally reliant on Jesus, not on finances. See, I believe the giving of finances is more a test of believers' hearts than it should be a means of gain for the minister. Did you hear that? I believe the giving of finances is more a test of the believer's heart than for it to be a means of gain for the minister. It shouldn't be that way. Because Paul says very clearly to Timothy, do not suppose that godliness is used as a means of gain. No. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That means whether you have, no have, we'll be okay. You have to understand kingdom finance and how to work and use finance for the glory of the king and his kingdom. And so you cannot have one eye on God and the other eye on mammon. You must be rightly aligned. So even our vision also misaligned. Our vision also singing. I was trying to look for a picture to share here with you that if you have an eye condition, that one eye look left, one eye look right. Yeah. Not a pretty sight. I think there's a term for it called exotropia or something like that. Okay, outwards. But I think many Christians are like that. You've got to look to the Lord and to focus on Him. You still with me? You want to know what true treasures are? Okay, so having gone through all this background and foundation and at least shown you the context of these verses and what Jesus was really saying, I think we are now ready to examine this question. So what are, true, what, what are true treasures? What are treasures in heaven? Because if we don't know what these are, then how do we lay up all these treasures? We'll just talk, talk, talk like many Christians, you know, all say Christian thing but don't know what it means. And I first discovered this back in 1999 when I was already actively serving in the church and I really, with, with a heart of hearts, and many of us could be like that, well-intending, and we're serving and doing a lot of things. Now when I look back, those were nice activities that pointed me towards an assignment. But one morning, as, as I was doing my devotion, I heard the Lord say and ask this one question of me. So what treasures have you laid up in heaven? Now without hesitation, immediately I answered, I'm in the worship team, I'm leading this, I'm doing that, I'm in church, how many, I'm, how, I'm doing how many services, and I went through my resume. And there was this silence, there was this pause. And then he asked it one more time, so okay, great, so what, what treasures have you laid up in heaven? I said, oh, not enough. I said, okay, 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 I forgot one thing, you know, so I, so I listed out again, you know, this is what I did, and this is a big, big 
project, you know. I did a church musical. Now, I wrote the entire thing. I produced the thing. I, we, we spent so many hours into this place and finally it was well attended and so on. Just felt the Lord wasn't very impressed and he asked one more question. So what have you laid out in heaven? That was my very first time, I'm telling you, uh, years ago, uh, of understanding the difference of activity and assignment. I just didn't know how to word it then. <laughs> At the time, it didn't make sense to me. But that was my first exposure to that kind of a question. So what are these treasures then? I mean, if it's not, I'm not saying stop serving. I'm, let's, let's explore a little bit. Now in Matthew, Jesus already spoke about don't heap up, lay up earthly possessions. Okay? So let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 12, and I, if you have time, you should read the entire chapter of Luke 12. It's, it's very interesting. Luke chapter 12 comes a point where suddenly, now Jesus was teaching and this guy comes and says, can you divide, tell my brother to divide inheritance with me? You remember this? And Jesus goes, you know, hello, I'm not here to tell you what to do and how to divide your, your things. And then he tells them a parable of the rich fool. And he says, starting with this one line, take heed and beware of covetousness. And he goes on and tells this parable, and you know this parable. The rich guy says, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this, I'm going to build more barns, I'm going I'm, I'm, you know, to expand, I'm going to this, 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 and that, 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 that. I'm going to relax, I'm going to retire and take out my CPF and have a good time. And then God says, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. Right? Now this parable is not about life insurance policy. Okay, but some people use it to teach life insurance policy. This parable is about covetousness. But Jesus says this guy wasn't rich towards God. And life does not consist of the abundance of things he possesses. So to be rich towards God means to have treasures in heaven. Everyone agree? Right? So he still doesn't answer for me. So what, is, what are these treasures in heaven? Okay, I, I know now I shouldn't be covetous. I know I shouldn't heap up on earth. But what should I be heaping up on the other side? How do I do that? So you need to read on. And so in verse 22 to 34, Jesus then talks about the do not worry, which we'll cover next week. Life is more than this. Life is more than that. Do not worry. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And then later on he says, sell what you have and give alms. Provide for yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that do not fail, where no thief approaches nor more destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Another time we see this being mentioned. So we are getting a clue now. Okay, so I need to give alms to the poor. Is that correct? Is that all I need to do? Then I will have treasures in heaven. We see a parallel passage in Mark where Jesus says almost about the same thing. In Mark chapter 10, Verses 17 to 31, this is the one where the rich young ruler runs up to Jesus and says, now how, no teacher, can you tell me how can I inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, okay, keep the commandments. He says, oh, that, that way, I've done all those. Since young, I've done all those things. Then Jesus then tells him, okay, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell what you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. So we've got two passages down here. Now, it's very easy to look at these two and then underline and put full stop and say, okay, to have treasure in heaven means to give to the poor. But you cannot just take that one. If you only want to give to the poor, you must read the line before that. You must sell all you have. 
you, you've got to be consistent with Scripture, right? You cannot take one part and say, so if I give, if I give to that, that flag day, then I've got treasures in heaven already. No, you didn't fulfill the other condition. Sell all you have. So that gave me a hint. This cannot be the treasures in heaven. It hints towards something. Jesus, as you know by now, right? He's always building up that case. And so you have to continue in Luke chapter 12. Let's go back there. Immediately after that passage, he tells his disciples, you gird your loins, you get ready. And he talks about being watchful, being wise, being faithful. He was talking about servants. Hold that thought. In Mark, after that, when he says, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, he doesn't stop there. And come, take up the cross and follow me. We're beginning to see a picture here, right? Okay? So in Luke, Jesus is saying, come on, be that servant. Be aware, be watchful, be wise, be ready, be faithful. To the rich young ruler, and later on to the disciples also, he says the same thing. Come, take up the cross, follow me, be my disciple. Servants, disciples. Very simply, right? And if you look at this as a concluding point, let me suggest this to you. And I want you to process this, wrestle with this, and see if you do not come to the same conclusion as I have. What Jesus is really saying is this. Remove anything or everything that distracts you from following and serving Jesus. Is this consistent or is this consistent? This is one message that Jesus continually says, right? If any man wants to follow me, he's got to give this up, he's got to give that up, you know, he's got to love me more than this. Got to just, just remove anything or everyone or anyone who ever stands in the way of following me and serving me, get rid of it. And for the rich young ruler, it just happened to be money. But I suspect for many people, it is also money. This is the key. How do you be a servant of Christ? Get rid of everything and then get, go and serve Him. How do you be a disciple of Christ? Get rid of everything, whatever is hindering you, and then go serve Him and go uh, be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And this is what it is. We are servants of the Most High God. That's why Paul keeps saying, I, Paul, born servant of Jesus Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Jesus, as, my, as, as Christ. And so we are disciples. Today you have to ask yourself, are we servants and are we disciples of Jesus Christ? Or are we just serving in the church and doing things that make us feel better? Are we advancing the kingdom together with the king as well as his kingdom? Because if you are a servant and if you are a disciple, guess what? You're going to have assignments. I can't move out from this point. I'm sorry. And if you would follow and serve well in your assignments and, and let your eye be fixed, let it be focused that anything else you are willing to, to throw away and to discard and to sacrifice and to let go of, do you think you might be laying up treasures in heaven? Let's test this. Let's test this. Because when we, in the beginning, we said true treasures, they will be spiritual, they are imperishable, they are eschatological, and they are eternal. So let's go along with this checklist, shall we? 
And to see, we have come full circle to answer a question that is of paramount importance to every kingdom person. Jesus tells his disciples, I want you to bear fruit. And don't just bear fruit, any old kind of fruit, you know. Your fruit must remain. Is that eternal? Correct, right? So I tell my students before what? I can play the piano, no problem. After I play the piano, finish, uh, piano finish, end already. Anything that's not lasting has finished already. My assignment is over, or my activity is over playing there. But what I do if I'm a disciple, that if I can minister, if I can fast, if I can pray, then how I worship begins to touch someone's life and it bears fruit for eternity. Paul says, if you run the race, you run for a crown, you run to win. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and in verse 25, he says, but these guys, they run for a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So does it fulfill a condition? Do you think this might be treasures in heaven? I believe so. So the question is now, are you running the race? Do you know which race you're running not? Or are you jogging in the park? Right? I've, I've told this joke many times. But Christians don't understand what the race is. Let's look at another one. So Jesus is in Matthew chapter 16, in verse 27, He says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father and His angels, and then He will reward each one according to His works. This is the last line after Jesus tells His disciples to say, If anyone wants to follow Me, He's got to take up his, deny Himself, right? take up His cross, and then follow Me. And then don't value your own life, because if you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life, you're going to gain it. And then he says this line. Because he says he's going to come. Eternal. Eschatological. He's not yet. But he's going to come. And he's going to give rewards to those according to their what? Works. Today I call it assignments. I need to do my works. I don't work to be saved, but I'm saved. That I, can be, I, can, I can do the work of the kingdom. Finally, one last one in Matthew chapter 24. And we know this that after Jesus spoke about the signs of the times, that as in the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. He talks about the servant. There will be good servants and there will be bad servants. Same thing again. And he says, Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Doing what? Obviously doing what the servant has been tasked to do, right? And of course, in this context, he should be watching and ready to, to receive the master when he comes. Assuredly, I say to you, he will be made ruler over all his goods. So if you want to rule and reign with Christ, it all depends how faithful we are here. Because if we are faithful in the small things, then Jesus says in Matthew 25, in the, in the parable of the, par uh, of the talents, well done, good and faithful servant, enter your Enter into the joy of the Lord. I will make you ruler over much. You've been faithful. You've been faithful over little. I'm going to make you ruler over much. So do you think it fulfills all the conditions? So how are you going to be laying out treasures now? And some of your assignments might be writing out a check and giving to the poor. I'm not saying you can't give to the poor. Are you, are you hearing me? Okay, but I'm saying it cannot be only limited to giving to the poor. So as we close this teaching, let me ask you once more the questions that are important for you to ponder and answer. What do you treasure? To reveal your heart, check your eye.
Where's your heart right now? What is your eye fixed on? Whom do you serve? You know, we can't presume this answer anymore. Today, I think Christians expect God to serve them to get the prosperity that they want. Whom do you serve? Whether money or no money, whom do you serve? How are you stewarding kingdom resources? Some of you may have more finances than others. Not everyone is going to have the equal amount. But as much as you have the resources, you will have a corresponding opportunity to steward them. Will you do that wisely and do it well? And of course, finally, how are you laying up treasures in heaven? Now that you have an idea what treasures in heaven might be, and what you actually should be doing, posturing, to be laying these things up. And so with that, I invite you, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us with this. Lord, once again, we thank you for the words of our King, Jesus. Money, wealth, and finance, they're not new things that people struggle with. Jesus addressed it so clearly in his time and in his day. And today, it remains relevant for all of us. And Lord, we come before you and with everyone together, we confess that we struggle with this. Lord, for those who don't have enough, uh, trying to meet those needs, Lord, we worry, we we struggle, we, we think we have to do so much more. Lord, forgive us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, what it means to trust you and not to trust the money. For those who may have a little bit more, Lord, we ask that you will help us understand the perspective of finance where the kingdom is concerned. Lord, maybe we've given before, but Lord, perhaps will you, will you show us what it really means to steward these resources in ways that may even shock us if we would trust you and obey you and live according to how you would lead us. But Lord, for some of us where tonight, Holy Spirit, you might be speaking to us, where our eyes might have been fixed on finance, wealth, money matters, and so on. Lord, will you reveal yourself afresh again. Let your grace just come that, Lord, truly, as our eyes are turned towards you, Jesus, the things on this earth will turn strangely dim. And I pray, let it not only be in a worship session, let it not only be in a, in a church service context, but in every aspect of our lives. May we be servants and disciples that one day will hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we thank you, Lord. Thank you that your grace will be sufficient for us, that you will lead us, and you will guide us. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.